Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 36 of Lepi Duels. We're keeping the format very similar to last week with Brian and Seth. This week we've got two guests. Seth is returning, um, but we're going to bring in Zach O'Haran this week. So welcome aboard both Seth and Zach. We've got three questions lined up for you guys, three hot topics to debate. Let's see what they do with a little bit more room to expand on their points. So, Seth, you are going to take us away first. First question of the day. Jeremy Rusko just purchased the Emporia Country Club, which has been used for years in the Dynamic Disc Open. So my question for you guys is, will this change the perception of the DDO, Seth? Yeah, so this is something that, almost happened last year uh, for people who aren't aware of the whole ins and outs of the life in Emporia, Kansas. Um, the, the, the country club came up for sale. There were two bidding parties. Ultimately a group of members won out over the Jeremy Rusco bid in that initial um, session. That being said in the past year, the one change that has been made is taking the restaurant from a members only operation to a community wide operation. And there hasn't been much else change wise. And so there wasn't a whole lot put into the infrastructure of the course to help encourage more members. There wasn't anything really done to help increase that membership. And so what that meant is that um, ultimately even after a year, it wasn't really a popular endeavor. And so now, um, I guess, basically, Jeremy's getting a crack at it with uh, his proposal, which includes a plan to revitalize parts of the course, both for golfers and for disc golfers, but also additional revenue streams. And so I haven't personally spoken to Jeremy since the first bid was submitted, so I don't know how much that has changed since the last time. But I can tell you that I heard through some very reliable sources in the past week that there is a plan for a disc golf course overhaul to be debuted by the 2025 um, iteration of the event. So it wouldn't be in place for this year, but by 2025, there are plans for a full disc golf course overhaul. And I think that that gives us a lot of positive direction towards uh, anything that people would hope to see from the course. Okay. Zach, initial thoughts here. Yeah, I think perception-wise, it's not going to change a whole lot this year. Seth kind of pointed out that detail of, you know, course overhaul not happening next year or this year anyway. So I think it's going to be kind of similar to what we've seen in the past. I think the question fits in my mind a little better about expectations in the future. Now that they have control over the property or more control over property than they have in the past, what will those changes look like in the future? How will those changes affect the course, the tournament? Um, will they make corrections and changes that are positive for the event? We've seen this at other courses, uh, thinking of Toboggan, even this last year, they made some tweaks to the courses. Uh, players had some reactions, fans had reactions. And now that they have Emporia Country Club and they're going to have a lot of more control over it, can they make the positive direction that Seth and all the fans, all of us want, kind of developing the course and the event to something new and better than what GBO was or what it has been the last couple of years? Okay, I think that... The key framework here is, and we've talked about this on Luppy Duels before, but DDO is an event that the players have been frustrated with, uh, particularly course-wise, over the last couple of years. Um, and even you guys on the show have said, you know, if if there's a event that needs to be removed from the tour, DDO is on that list. Um, so from that framework, is like with the 
with a course overhaul even, are we going to see that idea change? Are people going to be looking for a DDO to get removed, or is that going to become an event again that people are really excited about, Seth? So I think one of the things there's, it's always fun because when you talk about scientific uh, data driven decisions, you really only want to change one thing at a time. And so the one thing that changed in last year was not having the AMs and the pros playing on the same weekend. And so you have all of these other changes, course developments, and then all of a sudden say, okay, the course isn't going to change too much, but we're also not going to have the AMs here. We're going to lose like a significant number of uh, the spectators that we normally have. And so all of that to say, I think this year we're go we're getting the AMs back. They're going to be, there's going to be a sizable crowd. We have new ownership of the property. So we have two steps sort of in the right direction. I think that those two things could help propel the momentum into the third thing, which is the course um, overhaul that could hopefully start to bring more eyes back onto the event. Zach? Yeah, I, I think the the thing, the takeaway here is that it's can't, it's, there wasn't really a direction to move other than forwards if we're going to move. Um, with the ownership here, as Seth is pointing out, we are moving in the right direction, hopefully. Um, he's made some great points about, you know, changing tweaks here and there. And now the course kind of coming into that piece of changing, hopefully, as you as we talked on Lepi Duels and other places, if the changes are made that it work well, then this will be another highlight event, hopefully again down the line. Um, but as it stands, doing nothing was the going to kill this event doing something at least gives it promise and they're doing something which is what we want to see that's a good point zach um i think yeah perception time will tell i think we got to give it two or three years um to decide on that ultimately but i think the biggest thing here is in my mind it's it's obvious that it's had some negative reaction over the last couple of years so i think this does put some pressure on the event itself on Jeremy Rusco, um, on anyone involved with the DDO, if this course overhaul doesn't go well, if the course that they implement in 2025 um, and make some tweaks and changes to doesn't hit home with the players, I think I think the event itself could be in big trouble. Um, that's my own standpoint. Anything to add from you guys? Yeah. Nothing. All right. Perfect. Beautiful. Let's move on to topic number two. Zach, you'll lead us off here. This is an interesting question. So Dismania, obviously, no more Simon Lazat after last year. No more Eagle McMahon this year. We've got Gannon Burr, Kyle Klein, the only remaining member of the Sky team from the past couple of years. And then Nicholas Antela joins the crew. Those are your three faces of Dismania. So the question really is, Who's the best player on Team Dismania right now, Zach? Yeah, this is a great question. I think there's two ways to answer this, and one of it is looking at the players as a skill-wise. Uh, I think Kyle has been the more consistent one, and Gannon's kind of this volatile, just can pop off and be the best player in the world at any moment. Uh, his high ceiling moments are ridiculously high. Really what this reminds me of is the C Eagle and Simon combo they had before, where Eagle would be considered kind of the higher ceiling, higher performance player. Simon has his moments, but he's kind of more entertaining. And so the second, the flip side, how we can look at this as well, is that the players, the amateurs of our sport will kind of decide who the best player or the face of this, you know, 
budding Discmania brand is going to be because that's what they did with Eagle and Simon. They favored one of his image, what is created. And now with Kyle and Gannon having an opportunity to do the same thing, very similar kind of skill sets compared to one another as what they had before. It's going to be really interesting, interesting seeing them moving forward. But I would say Gannon right now has a little more higher ceiling at his highest level, but I like Kyle's consistency right now. He's very good long-term. All right, Seth, who's the best player on Discmania this year? Yeah, so I think it was interesting to hear all the analysis that Zach had and then not hear a whole lot about Nicholas, um, namely because Nicholas has been the most open about his contract out of the, the three of them. And so I would say sort of um, off the top, if a contract is any sort of indication of what a skill level or what a value level a player brings, then Nicholas is looking at probably bringing in the, the biggest, uh, the, the biggest notoriety there. Um, just not just because of how open he's been about his contract, but sort of understanding the back inside of things of where these three contracts are. Um, Nicholas is sort of leading the way there. I think the other thing that Nicholas has that, that the other two don't have is more of the international recognition. And so if we're going to build off of Zach's idea of like who the player is, if it's the image or the competition side of things, Nicholas with his image already built in Europe, but also the competition side that he brings with his historic finishes at the Finnish championship, but also at the USDGC, I think that he stands to be one of the more successful and consistent out of the three. Um, if we want to talk just pure talent, though, I think that you have to go with Gannon. I, I think that while Kyle Klein might be uh, more consistent, um, Gannon is the one who has the more talent, at least that we've seen so far. All right, Zach, I do think Seth's point was interesting pointing out, and I was going to point out the same thing. You talked a lot on, on Gannon and Kyle, kind of threw Nicholas to the side. Is that is that how you're looking at this, that it's Gannon, Kyle, and then Nicholas kind of slots in as a definite number three? I mean, kind of to what Seth just brought up, if we're looking at like most recent, let's say two years, looking between Kyle and Gannon, Gannon appears to be the better player. If we're looking at the last couple of years, Nicholas has had some awesome finishes in the, you know, the European side. He had a good finish at uh, USDGC. Those, those things are true. But if we're looking, we know the American field is larger, stronger than the European field right now in general. Um, Kyle is performing at a consistent rate that's so against a stronger field, I think, in general. So just like skill wise, I think Nicholas is an awesome player. I think he will bring a ton of value. I think him being on the Sky team is perfect for him. I think those are great. But just if we're looking at a skill standpoint, I don't see yet those things from him. If he comes on tour this year, start shredding, he could change my mind for sure. As of right now, based on who we've seen him play against, the level that they've played against, it just seems like Kyle and Gannon are the preferred choice in that regard. All right, and both of you are giving the edge to Gannon on pure talent-wise. Where are we ranking these guys um, on a world stage? Are we giving them all top 10? Are we giving any of them top 5? I assume Gannon's got a top 5 bid from the way you guys are talking, and maybe Kyle as well, but uh, does does Nicholas crack the top 10 for any of you? I think that he would need to come out with some strong performances early on. Um <laughs> I'm not 100% sure when Nicholas's first event is going to be this season, um, but uh, but I think that 
if he comes out and performs in, you know, a top 20 fashion pretty quickly, then he stands to make that run. Um, the hardest part is similar to some of Gannon's inconsistency. I mean, Nicholas is the same way. It was I, my most memorable moment out at uh, out at a tour event this past year was the Portland Open when it was like Nicholas and I can't remember who the other ones were that were on the card with him, but they were like the second to bottom card. I think it was Nicholas and maybe Linus and and two other Europeans. And they were joking about how they were all the best players in their country. But um, when they were in Portland, they were on the second to bottom card. And so I think that that consistency, you know, is still missing from him. But uh, but overall, I don't know necessarily. I think that Kyle's for me would barely edge in to a top 10. And the thing to remember here that we haven't even talked about is where Alden Harris finished last year in the Pro Tour standings. And he's not even someone that we're talking about because he's not on the same team level. And so I think that he's someone that, from a, a dark horse perspective on the Dismania team, you have to watch out for. I think that is a huge point. I'm glad you brought that up. And that was something I was going to bring up here momentarily. We have those three on the Sky team. They're supposed to be the face of Dismania. But yeah, Alden Harris is there lurking right below them, also new to Dismania. And if you guys watched last week's episode, um, Brian asked Seth and I a question at the end who we thought was a dark horse to win um, a tour event for the first time, and I picked Alden Harris. So I think that is a valid point. I'm glad you said that. Zach, uh, anything to, to add to this conversation? Yeah, I would only say for the Nicholas Antle argument here, like him cracking top 10, part of him not being able to do that in my mind right now in the discussion is the simple fact that, in my mind, I think there's a pretty stark difference between the American disc golf game and the European disc golf game, especially in course. So like from what I've seen, it's much more technical than, and compared to American disc golf, which is much longer and just traditionally. And so, or at least from what I've seen. And so I think if Nicholas gets more reps, he has a better opportunity to show his ability to pull up the rankings. But as of right now, I think Seth, uh, hit, you know, Kyle, very arguable to be in the top 10. You could argue in and out there. I think Gannon, you could do the same thing with the top five. His inconsistency, I think, makes him very easily say he's top 10. I don't think there's a debate on that, but his top five might be a kind of a question. Um, but Nicholas just isn't in that conversation for me right now until we see some more from him, especially on the American side against the American field. I think the key thing with all these, all three of these players is their age. Um, and we keep talking about their consistency and inconsistency for all three of them, to be honest. Um, but they're all still so young. And I think that bodes well for Dismania. I think that bodes well for all three of them. I think the best player of the three looks like Gannon right now, but it might not end up being in 10 years. I think that'll be interesting to watch. Um, not that they'll all be playing for Dismania 10 years from now. We'll see about that. Um, but that'll be interesting to watch. I also think... You know, Seth said Kyle's got some inconsistency. Zach, you said Kyle's the most consistent of the bunch. Um, how much of, if we're talking Kyle Klein here, how much of your mindset of consistency is built around the uh, how he ended 2023? Because to me, if you look at 2022, 2023 across the board, I think he's just as inconsistent as the other two at this point. Sure. Uh, so part of that, I think, has to deal with his injuries that he experienced during the year. But the other part of this is I think that we need to look at this as so Seth brought this up in contracts um, and how Nicholas has been the most open about those things. If we look at these three players, 
Nicholas is an awesome talent. Uh, part of this is his face recognition and his ability to sell discs in Europe. And then Ganon is an amazing top end talent who can also push discs, really doesn't have a social media presence or like in the sense of saying that he's like big and explosive can sell discs on his own. He wants to do that. I think Discmania wants to work with him to do that. So he has both high end sell performance and high end performance uh, and like playing wise. And I think Kyle's been earning his contracts as far as I'm aware, just off his ability to play. And so I think Dismania has recognized that he is a consistent player, especially when he's healthy. Um, I do think some courses fit him better than others, and that's true with all players. But uh, just in general, I think they recognize that he is a consistent player. He's worth investing as a Sky team member because of that consistent play. Uh, so I think that for me, I, some of those inconsistencies you're mentioning at the end of the year, injuries, longevity of the year. I mean, he pushed himself a little bit to get into the season, played really well. That brings questions on whether or not it can last. Um, cause if you, I mean, I'm going through an injury myself, if I try to push through and play tournaments, I might play well right now, but 15 events down the line, I might not be able to sustain that. Cause I pushed through some of those things. I, I, with a year, or I'm sorry, an off season to recover, I would love to see what Kyle can do right now. I think he's going to have an explosive year. I hope he does. Well said. I love the points, all of them that you brought up there. Seth, anything to add here? I think it's. It's hard because you could make a similar argument about Nicholas. I mean, Nicholas has been battling through a back injury um, for most of the past year and a half, um, ever since his performance at USDGC. And so I think that the thing, and this is like a completely separate topic uh, in general that maybe we explore in another podcast, but um, like the breadth and uh, frequency of injuries on tour is something that I think has been massively overlooked the past two years and is something that is contributing, I think, even to how the tour is being shaped as we move forward, at least hopefully, but is something that is really sort of impacting, at least for fans at home, the ability to see top-notch disc golf. I think it would be sort of amazing and probably unfathomable, at least in the current scheme of disc golf, to see a fully healthy field um, because if everyone on both the MPO and FPO side were completely healthy and playing, I think that we would see even more playoffs than we did last year. I think that is a great point, and I think that's that's a good topic to to um, dive into uh, a few weeks from now for sure. Um, final point on this one that I do want to hear you guys' perspective on is, you already touched on it, but the aspect of Alden Harris um, playing for Dismania as well. Will Alden Harris finish from a rankings perspective? Obviously, rankings are slightly subjective, but from a rankings perspective, will he finish anywhere above any of these three? Zach, Zach's shocked I, by that one. <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't know if you wanted me to go first or Seth to go first to that one. Whoever um, wants it. So would it be shocking to hear that he did finish above one of them last season? No. No, yeah. Because as I'm uh, pulling up to make sure I get <laughs> all of these things completely accurate and it's going very slow, um, obviously Gannon and Kyle uh, finished above him, but uh, Nicholas was uh, quite a few below him. So Alden finished 13th in tour standings, and Nicholas finished 26th. And so um, I think that 
to all the points we've already talked about, like Nicholas obviously garnered a lot from his standing in Europe and yep. his notoriety there. But Alden is, um, is, or at least has shown himself to be a pretty consistent player on tour. And I think that it wouldn't be too shocking to see him do that again this next year. Zach. Yeah. I, I think this is his year to try to show that he can do that again in the terms of saying, you know, Nicholas hopefully being healthy this year. Can he compete with that name, with that talent? Can he get that first win? All these questions, right? This is his year to kind of like see if he can go prove himself. If he is able to get those wins, it won't be shocking if he, you know, I think if he uh, gets Nicholas by a couple spots again. Um, but if Nicholas is healthy, I think that'll be a really high um, bar to set himself to beat a consistent player when he is healthy. Uh, I think that's a high ask. He could do it. We're just going to have to see how the season plays out, though. Really, there's they're close at right now, and it's kind of hard to predict that. So that'll be something for everyone at home to watch. We'll keep an eye on that as the year plays out. Let's transition to topic number three, final topic of the day. Clash Discs is hyping up big time across social media their new tone technology. So are we buying this? Are we excited about this, Zach? No, <laughs> I just, I mean, no, the answer is no. And the only reason I say that is because it's, if we're going to be honest here, every company for the last 30 years has come out with a disc or some plastic and said, it's the farthest flying disc now because of this new technology. And while I'm not sitting here saying that it couldn't happen, I, I don't, I have no reason to believe that this is going to be any different other than some company's grab of saying we have something unique that makes our disc fly far, you know, fly farther. MVP does this all the time, right? With their specific mold. They're like, well, with this unique technology, gyro technology, our discs are better. It's like, we don't do anything in our sport to really analyze all these plastics, these, and these effects on them, whether they actually fly, fly farther. They're just sales tactics to try to get discs off the shelf and to get players to buy them. So it's going to be interesting. I'm, it's a unique look. It's a new thing we haven't seen in a while. I, but I'm not, as a player, as a fan, I'm not looking at this thinking it's actually going to revolutionize our game. That's going to have to prove me wrong to do that. I, I just can't. I'm just not excited in that regard. It's a cool look. It's going to be interesting to see, but I no, don't think this is going to change. Seth, are you buying any of the, the tone technology? So I wish that I could, like, in all actuality, play the devil's advocate here, but I feel very much the same way. And I, I was, I've spent a good amount of time thinking about, like, how to approach this topic because, you know, Zach made some good points. You know, all the companies have done different things to try and hype up sales. Um, I think one of the interesting things, I think if you watch one of the Simon vlogs, um uh, eagle talks about how like he picked up a disc and threw it you know like 50 or 75 feet further and the really interesting thing and one of the things that i've learned um now more as a team manager than i did just as a casual fan is that there's a very big difference between a touring pro and how they throw and every other amateur and even like lower level pro and those upper level pros they can see clear differences between even like runs of plastic because they are so tuned in their uh, throwing form that they notice those things. But for everyone else, it doesn't matter. And so that part in and of itself, you need something a whole lot more significant than like, hey, you can throw further. 
Um, and that's probably an oversimplification of what this new technology is that they're coming out with. But like, if that's the general gist of it, you have to have something more simplistic than that to actually get it to work for the everyday amateur. Otherwise, it's just another hype piece. And I think a, an easy way to point to this, like um, even Latitude came out with a, a 15 speed a couple of years ago. The, I think it was the, the Rakuten. I might yeah. be pronouncing that wrong. Yeah. And they, you know, they were very open about the fact that like only someone with a really big arm is going to actually get this thing to perform the way that we think it should perform. But even then it's really more of a test than it is like an actual like product that we think is going to revolutionize the market. It's just something different. And so I think that there's plenty of room for something different, whether or not it's going to actually change something is what's yet to be seen. Are you guys as disc golf fans interested in trying it? Zach? I mean, sure. Right. Like something new is going to come out. You want to kind of, you want to be able to speak on it uh, with experience. And I'm going to use a very strange analogy here. So like how I would relate this to is back when I was in high school, years and years ago, uh, everyone hated Twilight. No, none of the guys that all hated Twilight had never seen it. So of course I went to go watch Twilight so that when I went to school, I could say I hated it. And I, there was a reason I hated it because it was bad. Right. <laughs> And so like in this regard, sure, I'd love to try the disc. I, so that way, if people ask for what real feedback on the disc is, I can say it does, you know, the grip does feel a little grippier on the bottom. It does feel a little easier to throw in this regard. Uh, the disc it makes it reminds me of is I can't, the Boreum, I want to say, where it has that curved bottom. Is that, that the right disc? Um, when that disc came out, they were talking about it's going to fly farther. It's a 13 speed with an 11 speed rim and stuff like that. And people went nuts over it. I got my hands on it, threw it a couple of times. And I was like, it just, I don't get it. And I just didn't see what they were talking about. I it felt like a sales tactic again. I was like, it, it just wasn't a thing. So when people asked me about it, I was like, you're welcome to try it. But it, I didn't see that connection. That's what I would try that for. I just, yeah, let's, let's feel it out. If it's the most amazing thing ever, then awesome. If it revolutionizes the game, then awesome. I just, I'm not holding my breath on it though. Seth, are you going to try it? Are you excited to try it? I am always down to hold and look at new plastic types, right? Like I think the disc golfer in me wants to see how it feels. Um, but I am so much of an amateur that I know that throwing it is going to do nothing for me. And um, to like Zach's like weird analogy, I actually have like a probably a little bit more applicable analogy where I was given um, I was given some prototypes back at Worlds of um, or not even technically prototypes or whatever is pre prototype uh, nowadays because prototypes right get sold um, on the market to everyone. Um, but whatever you would call the pre prototypes, the testers or whatever for the Strive and the Brave the two discs that came out in the Royal box. And I tried throwing this drive. I really did. I tried even throwing it in a pretty strong headwind. I could not get it to fly like a normal disc for me. And so I thought, Oh, this isn't, this isn't going to be a disc for me. And, um, didn't really follow up on it. I'm a team manager. I'm not in product development. And, um, when we released the Royal box, uh, I went in through the Brave and the Brave, uh, I knew I wanted to throw a Brave from the time I got the, the tester. And so I saw someone who wanted to trade the Strive for a Brave. 
And I said, well, I know the Braves going in my bag, so I'll trade my Strive without even trying to throw it. I found out we retooled it a little bit. And so it's actually a little bit more understable than the one that I was um, throwing, which is actually something that probably would fit in my bag. And so I just got rid of it without even testing it. And so I think that to some extent, right, I don't want to, um, there's a saying, throw the, the baby out with the bathwater and say, hey, we're, it's not worth throwing. But um, at least for me on paper, it doesn't make sense to throw it. All right. Fair enough. I think, uh, I think I'm, I'm with you guys. I think especially what Zach said, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, I think it is important what Seth touched on initially, which is, you know, 99.9% of players aren't going to be able to get the, get what they want out of the disc anyway, to make it fly farther. Like, like you mentioned with the Eagles, um, comment on on the gyro technology flying 50 60 70 feet farther than any other disc he's thrown but that's eagle mcmahon we're not going to get that uh result so i think that's important to to comment on but zach i agree with you i think it is important for to have any knowledgeable um and intellectual conversation about what the disc brings to the table what the new technology brings to the table it's important to actually try it for yourself so i'm glad you said that um but tone technology, we'll see. We'll see what it does. If it changes the game, maybe. If it feels cool, maybe. Does it fly well? We'll find out. Um, but something to think about. Zach and I did touch on before the show, before we went on the air, that at the end of the day for Clash Discs in particular, it's a win-win because here we are talking about it on this show. Other people are talking about it. It's gotten a reaction, whether it's negative or not. There's a lot of press surrounding it, and ultimately they're going to sell these things at the drop. Now, whether they sell them after the, after the initial drop or not will be determined by if people like them or not, but the initial drop uh, is most more than likely going to be successful. So it is a win for Clash Discs in that sense. Anything to, to close out this topic and this show with, either of you? Nothing. I think I'm always, always down to see new plastic, right? I think that if we, um, there's a, there's probably a line somewhere between like making every single mold known to man and, um, and having something new, um, or something consistent, but it's always cool to see someone in, innovating and, um, I look forward to what the next cool thing's going to be. Absolutely. Well said. Um, that's going to wrap up episode 36. Thanks so much for being with us this week. Um, we enjoyed having Seth and Zach as always. So thanks both of you guys for being here. Um, let us know again in the comments. We had some good feedback last week um, from the feedback that we did receive on this particular format. Uh, we'd like to tweak it a little bit, make it you know more competition style with, with some points and some votes and stuff like that. But let us know in the comments what you think. Of course, subscribe. We're so close to 300 subscribers. Once we hit that, we've got a big giveaway. Um, but we got to hit it first. So help us out there. Other than that, thanks for watching. Have a great week, and we will see you guys next episode. Music.